So welcome back, uh, everyone. And um, if you're comfortable to have your uh, your video on, it's nice for me when I uh, talk to see people. But if there's a, a bandwidth issue, uh, then do what you need to do. So happy new year. I feel like I feel like I like to do this on on Zoom. Happy new year. <laughs> And uh, I actually want to explore today uh, a theme related to the new year, which is uh, practicing with intentions and working with the uh, factor of intentions in our practice. And I want to bring that back towards the end of the talk to seeing what uh, intentions might be for us individually for ourselves and for our world at this time. So this is a, as we all know, this is a very natural time, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, for reflection on core intentions, on deeper intentions. Uh, it's a time that the earth is more still. Uh, there's a lot going on at a cellular level with plants, but outwardly it doesn't look like so much is happening. And there's, for many of us, and maybe we have experienced this in the last few weeks, there there can be uh, a pull to some degree of stillness and stopping. And you know, it can be one of the gifts of the pandemic is that people have been able to stop more and do less, uh, travel less. There's loss there, of course, but there's there's also uh, some gain, and so it can be uh, it can be a powerful time. I know for myself, I typically do about a month retreat sometime in the uh, in the winter when things are more still, often when it's uh, raining, and that's been a very uh, precious practice. Some. Um, some uh, so there can be maybe for you if you haven't felt this. See if that's there for you. Uh, a wish to take some time off. It could just be a few days. Could be a week. Maybe you've already uh, done that with the holiday time, which is uh, the case for many people who have that time scheduled around employment. But some kind of uh, stopping, some kind of uh, way of uh, coming to more stillness and silence to see what is uh, deeper in, within us, what wants to move, so to speak. Uh, I remember there was, a, I think, a song from the 60s uh, called Stop in the Name of Love. I think that's a very good, very good guidance for uh, this time of year. So there, there's that. There's also, uh, there's also really, in a way, uh, a new beginning, certainly in the uh, United States, coming with uh, the election, that it can be uh, a, shift, uh, a shift in energies. And so I want to explore this uh, theme of working with intention, both in terms of the, some of the core teachings about intention that we find, and uh, particularly, I think there are two main teachings about intention that we find in Buddhist tradition, which point to two different ways of practicing. And they really actually relate to the instructions 
the very brief instructions that I gave at the beginning of the sitting, that there is one kind of intention which we could talk about as deeper intention or finding your deeper motivation or aspiration. Uh, that's where, in our practice, the invitation was, what's your deeper reason for practicing? Can you be in touch with that? And then there's a second aspect of intention, which is more moment to moment. That moment to moment for really uh, every moment of experience, there are intentions, you know, coming through. You know, you can, uh, I can have the intention to put my hand on the top of my head. And if I really notice it, there was a moment where there was an intention. Do that yourself. Take, uh, take a moment just to have your hand and see if there, and at a certain moment, let the intention lead to action. And you can notice that there's something like an intention. How many people could experience it? It's like a little blip, right? A little, not even necessarily conscious, right? That's, <clears throat> that's there. So that's the second dimension of in, intention. So that's what I want to explore and then apply that understanding of intention in several different ways. One is to our formal practice, our individual practice. A second way is to our sort of informal practice in the flow of our daily lives. And then the third will be to do a kind of a practice together where we tune in in terms of our deeper intentions for this next period of time. So that's what I want to, I'll explore that latter right at the end. And then what I'm thinking of uh, next week, there I want to, I think, continue with a few dimensions of intention that I won't have time to deal with today. Uh, one of the dimensions that uh, I'll, I'll bring up and talk about a little bit, but I won't explore deeply, is how some of our intentions are more conscious, and some of them are almost like, uh, you can almost feel it, like just how, how subtle the intention is to touch the head, um, that some of our intentions may be more subtle, more hidden, even more unconscious, and I'll get into that some that a lot of our intentions are often connected with our habitual tendencies of which we're only partly aware. And so some of the work we do with intentions is to uncover our habits more, right? And to uh, work with our habits, transform them, see which are helpful, see which are not helpful. So I'll probably do more of that next time. And then I also want to bring in a focus on intentions in our relational lives and also in our more social and collective lives. And that, uh, that I think, will be a little bit too much for today, although I might, I might bring it up uh, some. So, again, if we look to these two aspects of what we could call intention, one we could call maybe aspiration or deeper motivation. The other, I think I'll still stay with the word intention. In English, we would... We might use the word intention for both of these dimensions. And so from the point of view of practice, what we're looking for is how can I clarify my deeper intentions, first of all, 
move away from being more automatic in our lives? How can I clarify my deeper intentions? And then how can I bring those deeper intentions into my moment-to-moment life, into my daily flow? That clearly is a key to our practice. Not easy, right? Not easy. How do we how do we move away from being more automatic? And how do we move away from actually being often or a lot of the time not even in touch with our deeper intentions, right? Just living more or less according to our conditioning, our habits, our our patterns, uh, you know, what are our automatic tendencies. So that's the that's the scope of what I'll, I'll explore. And so first I'll talk a little bit about aspiration or this sense of deeper motivation. And in the Buddhist tradition, there are different terms that we find for these different aspects of intention. So the distinction is there in the tradition. And so we, some t- we, we find several words, I think, in the, uh, in the tradition which uh, communicate this sense of a deeper intention or deeper motivation. Or sometimes some terms are translated as aspiration, which points to really what we want for our lives, for others, for those close to us, for our world. And they're, they're a rich tradition. So one of the words that's used is chanda. C-H-A-N-D-A. And this is sometimes translated as desire, but sometimes translated as something like wholesome desire or wholesome intention. And you know, sometimes Buddhist uh, teachings are, I think, misunderstood to think that we shouldn't want anything, right? We should just get away from wanting, and that's the secret. But there's clearly a very strong emphasis in the teachings about wanting what is uh, sometimes called skillful, sometimes called wholesome, you know, wanting to be awake, wanting to do less harm, wanting to help others. And so there were words used that could help us to distinguish between the wanting that is caught in habit, conditioning, unconsciousness, And another kind of wanting, which is necessary for skillful action. And that, you know, one of the words is is chanda. And so this is really, could be called wholesome desire or wholesome motivation, that which uh, really energizes us to do, maybe to meditate, to do that which is skillful, to be ethical, whatever it might be, that this is uh, really important to, uh, to point out. Um, and this is, this is from a contemporary teacher, uh, Chan Sichito, who is a, a British uh, monk in the Thai forest tradition. He says, um, Chanda is an eagerness to offer, to commit, to apply oneself, for example, to meditation. It is a psychological yes, a choice, not a pathology. In fact, you could summarize uh, the whole of the training as the transformation of sort of uh, unconscious 
and compulsive wanting into chanda or skillful wanting, skillful uh, aspiration for something. There's another term that's, I think, used a little bit more in Mahayana tradition, which is more connected with something like vow, which is very pertinent to our times right now, like a vow, what that which will uh, guide me maybe day to day with what is skillful, what is bringing me towards um, awakening, greater awareness. And there's a word pranihana, P-R-A-N-I-H-A-N-A. And that can be translated as vow. Um, Another way of translating it would be, um, I've seen fixing or setting the mind to something. And there are all these, um, many of you know, there's these different vows that uh, can be helpful. In uh, Mahayana tradition, there's often what we call the vow of the bodhisattva, to awaken, but also to help others. Um, and this is, this is from the uh, Zen tradition. Living beings are infinite. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. And in many traditions, one would uh, make make vows and even start one's time of practice every day with the vow. And I I personally uh, have a vow that I kind of constructed partly out of a, I think it was like a birthday card that a very close friend sent to me, which said, I hope that this occurs. And it went, kind of got eloquent and named all these different things that really resonated with me. I said, well, that'd be good for me to want. Uh, and so I actually do this something like a vow. I do it four times a day, you know, and it's good when I really am clear about it rather than do it in a rote way, but I do it, right? And I, I do it. Uh, and it, it makes a difference. And particularly I find, you know, sometimes if there's some distress or some confusion, and I I notice this particularly if there's something that occurred, occurs that has me up in the middle of the night. Anyone ever up in the middle of the night? Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it occurs to many of us. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm up in the middle of the night and maybe, you know, the little more vulnerable, the mind's not as clear, I often sit up and I start with my vow. And it usually is extremely helpful. And I think I've probably mentioned it from uh, time to time. And I think I'll, I'll just give maybe the beginning of it right now. And even though I say it four times a day, if I try to actually remember it now, it might be even hard. It's kind of funny. Uh, so here, here it is. Uh, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others. And then I bring to mind something that I'm grateful for. I do a little bit of gratitude practice. I bring to mind something that I'm grateful for. And then I say, may I find peace and serenity in the mix of, you know, phenomena during the day. May my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. That was directly from my friend's birthday card. I really like that one. May my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. You know, uh, may may I fully integrate the shadow and light in my body and being. 
May I penetrate ever more deeply into emptiness. May I open ever more to luminosity. May I open ever more to compassion. May I be a conduit for the Dharma to manifest on this earth. And so it goes on like that. That can give you a taste of it. And that was, it's very personal. I didn't get that from some book. And it makes a difference, right? So some of us may actually want to work with Val. There's a there's a very nice book by uh, Jan Chosen Bayes, who's a Zen teacher based in Oregon, called The Vow-Centered Life. You might want to look at that. But it works with vows. But it's pretty simple. You know, I just took most of my vows from a birthday card, and I add some other things. And it takes me two or three minutes. And I do it several times a day. I do it uh, when I, a little bit after I first wake up, before I meditate. I do it in the morning, I do it in the afternoon, I do it after, you know, after supper. And so that can be, you know, that can be a way to convey this, uh, this deeper sense of practice. And it can just be, it can just be uh, one sentence, you know, you might say, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others, right? Something simple like that. Or I intend to awaken for my own benefit and benefit of others. So just if this resonates with you, just see words that seem helpful. See what the language is that is helpful for you. And it can be very powerful. I know in my own history, I've, I've used other vows at times. I remember quite a while ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe 16 or 18 years ago, I remember I and a close friend of mine we, we did vows together, which were very brief, and we, uh, we agreed to them in each other's presence, and then we took them, and they were very important. I posted mine uh, right near my uh, telephone, and I would often recall the vows, you know, after I would get a phone call, I would look at the vow before, because the vow was a lot about... May, I think, I don't remember exactly now, but I think it was, may all of my actions come out of wisdom and kindness. Something you know, pretty simple like that. But I would just refer to it uh, during the day, right? And so this is, again, one of the ways that this, what I'm calling aspiration or vow, deeper intention can, can, be, can be there for us. And so, um, and then there's also the dimension, we might say, of moment-to-moment intention. Now, I'll first talk about how, it, the, how some of the teachings clarify what it is, but then talk about how to work with it. And so, the, again, there, there are a few different uh, words for this. Um, maybe I should also, also say that there's... Um, you know, in terms of the, uh, the deeper intention, there's also what we find in the Noble Eightfold Path. The second factor is sometimes called right intention or wise intention. And that also is connected with this deeper aspiration that uh, it comes after uh, wise understanding or right understanding, which is typically an understanding of the roots of suffering and how we move out of suffering. And on the basis of that, we have to have the aspiration to uh, both refrain from doing harm and bring care, kindness, loving kindness, compassion 
as well as wisdom to all our activities. And that's sort of, that's really the essence of this factor. So that also, and that, that is called uh, sama, to use the word that we translate with right, sankapa, S-A-N-K-A-P-P-A. That would be right intention or wise intention, sometimes translated as uh, wise thought. And again, so those are at least three different words that bring out some of this aspect of aspiration. And it's distinguished from the word that's especially used to talk about what we could say is more moment-to-moment intention, the intention that is there when I raise my hand and touch my head, or the intention that um, we might have to uh, start eating or whatever. Just very on a very uh, simple moment-to-moment level, there's intention. And those of us who have done retreats know that sometimes the instruction in retreats is to slow down and just notice intentions. Notice when your hand reaches for the door or notice the moment when you there's some intention, my hand will reach for the door and then you open the doors. Just some, something like that. So in a way there's intention coming uh, all the time. And again, uh, another word that is used here more in the tradition is, I think, I think it would be pronounced Chetana. It's uh, spelled C-E-T-A-T-A. C-E-T-A-T-A, usually translated as intention, sometimes as volition or will. And it's related. Some of you who know some of the uh, key words, uh, uh, you know, for example, in the teachings of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, know that it's related to the word citta, C-I-T-T-A, which is usually translated as sort of the thoughts and emotions when we translate in English. This is what we call the mental-emotional dimension. So it's related to that. So it comes close to the dimension just of of a thought. And so it's understood that this is... uh, happening continually, that there are continually thoughts, volitions, intentions happening uh, moment to moment that guide us. It's also understood here that some of these are more conscious and some of them are less conscious. And that's, I think, different from what we find with aspiration or vow. That, That would typically be conscious. But the teachings about this moment-to-moment intention is that some of them are not so conscious, right? That there's almost like an intention that's baked into our habits. You know, what's my intention when I say something kind of looking to bolster my self-image, right? What's There's some kind of intention there. Am I conscious of it? Sometimes not, sometimes half-conscious. But In the teachings, they're going to say that that is part of what we're looking at when we talk about this moment-to-moment intention, something that's both conscious or not conscious. And again, when we think about simply reaching for the door, there's an intention there. When we bring mindfulness to it, that we can see it more. But normally, are we conscious of those that level of intention? Not really, right? But the understanding is, that it's happening, uh, that it's happening over and over. It's also interesting, 
that in the teachings, this dimension, the second aspect of intention, is very connected with karma. In fact, there's, there's a, a well-known line where the Buddha says, it is intention, practitioners, that I call karma. For having willed, one performs an action through body, speech, and, or mind. So there's basically a sense that moment to moment, there are intentions, something willed. It can be more conscious. It can be half conscious. It can be relatively unconscious. But that still comes under the rubric of uh, chetana or, or intention. And so, again, I'll probably t- I'll talk about this more next time, about how part of our intention practice is uncovering intentions that are relatively automatic or unconscious, uh, particularly related to our habits, that this is a significant part. That there's a kind of movement from... Uh, you know, uh, where things are more unconscious to where they're more conscious. We move from unawareness to awareness. That's a significant part of our practice. It's part of the reason why the Buddha uh, named himself the one who is awake. And there's a sense that we're partly because all of these of these unconscious intentions were a little bit sleepwalking. Anyone feel yourself sleepwalking sometimes? I, I mean, I... I think I notice this most. It doesn't happen that much these days, but it happens most when I suddenly notice myself walking myself walking to the refrigerator. Why am I walking to the refrigerator? Anyone relate to that? <laughs> right. So it's uh, it's humorous, but that's you know what is the intention operating that is directing me to the refrigerator? And sometimes you know when I kind of know I'm not hungry, but okay, what well, what's going on? You know, what's going on, Donald? Check it out, right? So there's something, something interesting there. So, um, so the whole teaching about uh, karma, karma is not really at root a mysterious teaching. Sometimes we see it as this mysterious teaching about how, you know, the fact that I stubbed my toe this afternoon was because of something nasty I said this morning, right? People sometimes have that notion that it's all, you know, you know, you deserve everything yet here. You know, if someone was nasty to you in the evening, it was because you did something problematic. And and then who knows how some of that works. But that's the core meaning of karma. It's much more uh, central and obvious. It's basically saying whatever we intend, consciously or unconsciously, we're strengthening that intention. That's it. That's it. That's all that karma is really saying. That is, so you can see it's connected with I'm strengthening either a uh, helpful or skillful tendency or often unconsciously an unskillful and habitual tendency. So that is an aspect. That's an aspect also of uh, intention. And so what the reason that we're that we emphasize intention so much is in part because so many of our intentions are not so conscious. What we're pointing to is, can I be more and more awake? Another way to talk about this is, I I like to use, you know, and those who've 
been here know that I, I often like to have the uh, distinction between being more reactive, which often can be quite unconscious, and being more responsive. So the, the practice with intentions helps us to be more aware, more present, less automatic, more responsive, less reactive. Another way to talk about that is more free, less in bondage to our habits and tendencies. And that's, that's the aim of everything that we're talking about here with our practice. The whole point of focusing on intentions is to be more aware of intentions, be more mindful, and connect that sense of moment-to-moment intention with our deeper intentions, so that my choice moment-to-moment of what intentions do I follow, what intentions do I not follow, that's more connected with our, our aspiration, our sense of our, whatever we call it, our, our deeper values. And so, and so how do we do this? How do we bring this into our individual practice? And I think, again, next time I'm going to talk some further about individual practice and about uh, how we uh, can uh, work with some of these more unconscious intentions, more habitual automatic intentions. But uh, here I wanted to talk more about how to bring this into our, our formal practice and our daily life practice. And then we'll do a little bit of an exercise, okay? A little bit of an exercise together that involves a little bit of writing. And we'll have some chance to talk together. So how to bring some of this into our practice, how to work with intention or practice. So we can uh, do what I mentioned near the uh, beginning of the sitting and what I I brought up again in distinguishing between aspiration and moment-to-moment intention, that we can uh, begin our sessions or we might want to begin a few times during the day and bring to mind what our deeper intention is. You know, you may want to work with a a vow in that way or develop a vow. And we can do that at the beginning of a meditation session, can do it for 30 seconds or a minute. What's my deeper intention? You know, can can work with that. And then also uh, we can work with a particular intention for a given activity. So it could be checking out how I am feeling in this moment in terms of my body and my mind and my heart. And then what's a wise intention for the practice uh, for this half hour sitting, given how my mind is? That would be a way of working with intention. And you can see that there is a way that intention hooks into mindfulness, hooks into action. You know, I like to think of sometimes that the essence of our practice is being mindful to check out what's happening, step one. Step two, on the basis of knowing what's happening, we set an intention based on our best wisdom and compassion, or our best wisdom and hurtfulness, we might say. That's step number two. And step number three is we act. We do it. Right? That's a very, very simple model of what our practice can be moment to moment, right? Can I um, know what's happening? Because the intention has to come from wisdom. It can't just 
you know, I mean, some if we work with our vow, that those are generally probably always always valuable and valid. But for the specific activity, it's helpful to remember or to know what's going on right now. We can also bring our intention and our vow into other activities. I can I have a difficult conversation with someone. What's my intention? Can I connect with my deeper motivation? And can I also have maybe a more specific intention? Like I will, the you know, the deeper motivation might be I want to, uh, uh, you know, bring a, you know, bring more. I want to stay with my wisdom, my mindfulness, and my compassion. And my more specific intention might be I want to try to stay a little bit grounded in my body because that really helps me not be caught in automatic tendencies. That could be the specific intention. Or we might have a specific intention just around uh, my daily life. I might say, um, uh, I'm going to, to, to further develop my mindfulness, I'm going to have the intention to be mindful um, when I'm eating for, for 10 minutes for one meal a day. Maybe that's my intention. Or I'm going to be mindful when I wash the dishes. You know, maybe, and, and we can set that intention right before the activity. So we can have any number of activities for, you know, like uh, I, during the uh, pandemic time, when I, I, I like to go swimming, but I can't go swimming every day because we, you know, here in Berkeley, we have like this almost like a, a lottery to use the swimming pool with, uh, <clears throat> You know, one person in the lane, you have to have reservations. Actually, Wednesday's the day you choose. And generally, you know, I went on at 8.30 this morning for one pool. And generally, and you have a limit of three swims a week. And generally, there must be like 500 people who are all at their computers or devices trying to get a swimming reservation. I generally get one a try. <laughs> I did get one. And but anyway, so when I don't go swimming, I take walks, and I I like to have intention to be aware. And the first third of the walk, I'm aware like of my legs. Second, second uh, third of the walk, I have an intention to be aware of my whole body when I'm walking. And the third part of the walk, I have the intention to have a broad awareness of everything, right? And so you can do that. You can do that for walk, taking a walk, doing any particular activity. Uh, can work with that. Uh, we can also, maybe in the formal meditation, if there's, let's say, a moment of difficulty or something confusing comes up in formal meditation, I'm getting into some pattern with, uh, you know, maybe a difficult interaction, and I notice myself getting angry or reactive, I can at that moment come back and say, what's a skillful intention? So another use of intention is maybe in a difficult or challenging moment. Bring up intention, kind of like, like what I was talking about in the middle of the night, right? That can, I'm reactive. Can, let, can I let my noticing of reactivity be a starting point for setting a wise intention? And I haven't said this yet, but it's helpful to remember that setting a wise intention is very helpful but it doesn't guarantee anything. Okay? Sorry to say that, but I think it's true that I can have a really wise, beautiful intention 
and say it in the middle of the night, and ten seconds later, where it's gone, right? Where is that? I'm just back in my uh, stuff, right, or whatever. And so that's really important to remember that um, intentions are incredibly helpful, but they're not a total guarantee. But they do help. They make a difference, you know. And I think I think we all we all can know that. So let me see a few more things, maybe about uh, coming, you know. Another way to, to work with intention is just have a multiple times during the day when you take a pause. If you can, if we can do a pause, it's a really good uh, what uh, catalyst for coming up with returning to our aspiration, our vow, or working with intention. So again, something which takes us out of the uh, automatic quality of our daily flow. Pausing, taking a break, coming back to a minute of mindfulness. You know, I, like a number of people on the computer, I have a little thing on uh, the computer, which I play, which rings a bell for me every five minutes. And um, I don't always hear the bell. <laughs> but when I hear the bell and remember, I pause for a while. It's very helpful. You know, computers for most of us, is the hardest aspect of practice. And so, um, maybe just a few more things uh, to say that uh, related to that, using our practice periods is a good way to uh, work with intention. And having, uh, you know, if we can have maybe... Uh, a regular sitting or even a second sitting is just another chance to come back to those deeper intentions. Another practice, which you know I speak about a lot, which I've been doing for most of the last 35 years, is a Sabbath practice where one day a week I don't schedule things in the usual way. And again, I, I do it for a good part of the day. One can do it for th three hours. I have a lot of people I work with, for them the Sabbath is two or three hours. One day a week, if you do it on the same day, it'll be like a returning to your aspiration, right? And it makes a huge difference. So that's another way of strengthening intent or aspiration, intention, the sense of aspiration. And, you know, related to that would just be periodically, and this is a good time of year to do it. Can I simplify and prioritize my life so that I'm following my deeper aspirations, Right. That's a, that's a larger question, but coming back to periods in which we, I ask, am I prioritizing things? What do I need? Do I need to let go of something? Right? Very valuable to do now. What, you know, what um, might I let go of that would have, have me live more closely aligned with my deeper values or my, or my aspirations? And that's, so I've outlined a number of ways we can do that with individual practice. And I think what I'll, I'll explore more next time, we can also do that with the way that we relate to others and how we relate to the larger world. That there also are dimensions of our intention practice for those parts of our lives. I won't go into, I'll name those, but I won't go into that so much now. Right, so I think what I'd like to do now is 
invite people to get your writing implement and your paper Have that with you. Again, it's, if it's an electronic device, that would be okay. So have a, hopefully a piece of paper and maybe a pen or some other writing implement. And this will be pretty brief, and then we, we'll have some time to talk together. So first, just take a pause. There's been a lot of talking on my part, maybe thinking and reverberation of the talk. Just take a few moments and let things settle. Maybe even note what was, what seemed helpful to you, or what got uh, catalyzed or activated in terms of your own intentions, your own possible practice. Now I'll invite your response to just a few questions. First is, what is one thing that I want to let go of in the next period of time? One thing, and if you have two, that's okay. That's one thing I want to let go of in the next period of time. And then secondly, what is an aspiration or a deeper intention that I want to guide me for the next period of time? You could think of the next year or however long makes sense to you. What is, a, what is an aspiration or a deeper intention that you want to guide you?
again, if, if what comes to you has different aspects, that's fine. You may just want to write uh, for, you know, write for a minute or two. And I want to add, along with that, is there a deeper aspiration, an aspiration or a deeper intention that you have in relationship to your own response to the needs of the world, we might say, or the, the how might I be part of a helpful response to the crises of our world that might have already been covered, but bring that in if you haven't done that. What's my aspiration in terms of helping to respond to the needs of a world in crisis? And now the last one. What are one what are one or two of my next steps that I will take to follow these deeper intentions? Just see what comes to you. What are one or two of my next steps that I will take? to help realize these deeper intentions and see what comes.
So I want to finish by a reading from the poet Rilke. This brings out the, I think, the importance of a sense of next steps that sometimes in terms of our deeper intentions or aspirations, we may think that we need to figure things out or work out some big model, work out all the details. And in my own experience and that of working with others, I have not usually found that so helpful that what can be more helpful is to see the next steps that have life for you. And sometimes we don't know the big picture, but we do know, oh, this has life to me. Let me do that. You know, I think of having worked with a few people who have been retiring, not quite knowing what they're doing. Of course, they want to figure things out. And we, we worked a lot with just emphasizing that which feels like it's calling in terms of a particular next step. And so I want to emphasize the importance of just taking the next steps rather than trying to figure everything out. Sometimes we will not have clarity about the big picture, but often it can be more skillful to take the next step. So this is a, a reading from the poet Rilke about those next steps. Have patience with everything that remains unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot, they cannot now be given to you because you could not live them. It is a question of experiencing everything. At present, you need to live the questions. Perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. That's from about a century ago. Let me finish there and then invite any, uh, any sharing, any comments, any questions. That could be through the raised hand function. Uh, it could also be through uh, the chat, in which case uh, Brian would read it. And uh, just to speak on that, if you've updated your Zoom lately, the raise hand button has moved to the reactions button um, on the bottom of your control bar. You'll click on that and then click raise hand. It could be to share something that, uh, some insight that you may have had in doing the, the writing. And I should say that you can, if you did some writing, you could keep it where you want to keep it. Some people like to keep it or maybe make a copy of it, write another version of it, keep it in a central place. Uh, some people like to actually uh, bury it in the ground and remember it very clearly. <laughs> that, that's an option as well. So. So, yeah, it could be a sharing of that or a question or anything about the uh, content of the talk as well. I've got a really, really simple question from the chat of just to repeat the name of the Rilke poem. Oh, it's, um, it's from his uh, Letters to a Young Poet. 
So it's uh, the actual passage may be not so easy to find, but it's from it's from his book Letters to a Young Poet, uh, which Rilke wrote when he was uh, 29 years old. <laughs> the young poet was 20, I think. All right, so I do see a hand up. Uh, Ed, you can go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, thanks, Ed. I just um, re really appreciate this, um, the teaching again today, and um, that reminder of not trying to have everything figured out. Yeah. You know, that uh, especially when there's so much so many things you can look at and go, you know, I don't, I don't know how to go down that path right now. It's, it's nice to just have that reminder of like, okay, you have an intention of where you're going to go and each step is its own. Take that step. Okay. Where am I now? Take that step. Where am I now? Um, and I think I'd gotten away from that a little bit. And so I appreciate the teaching. Great. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, really crucial. And I have found it again in my own life and that of others. I mean, sometimes we do, have a clear vision. You know, I think uh, I've had that at different times in my life, but other times it's really crucial just to take the next step. It, you know, I, when you were talking, I was thinking of, there was a, a book written by uh, uh, Paulo Freire from uh, Brazil. And I think I'm trying to remember the name of the founder of the Highlander Institute in Tennessee, uh, who uh, the, the book was, we make the path by walking it. Very, very similar idea. Like we, we actually make the path by walking it. We, we talk. Uh, we, we see what the next step is, and in doing so, we, we find out who we are in a way. And again, sometimes we can have a lot of clarity. You know, and sometimes people, you know, can have a, a really uh, powerful experience in which you know I, I've uh, you know met people who told me of almost like mystical experiences where they had their whole life vocation get clear. You know, that, that occurs sometimes, but also even then, you know, how do you manifest it? It's hard to know. Yeah. Anyone want to share or ask a question? Do we have anything in the chat, Brian? Uh, nothing in the chat. See some applause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> applause. Okay, that's, that's accepted. And does anyone else here work with a vow that you that you use? Do you, anyone want to share that, or maybe something came to you that you like to work with? It looks like Nancy is ready to speak. I just finished a. 10-week intensive study of mindfulness of breathing with Temple Smith and a group of 15 other um, yogis. And as part of our course requirements, each morning, first thing, he asked us to recite the, um, the refuges, the precepts, the five precepts, and yeah. he created two vows for us. And the vows were, I vow to use each moment of this day to cultivate breath and body awareness, calm and collected attention and kindness of heart, 
The second vow was, I vow to investigate and transform the true source of my personal and collective suffering. Mm, Wow. That's great. Well done, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And I think, uh, yeah, thank you for bringing up, I think I had my notes, but I wasn't always looking at my notes, the fact that refuges and precepts can be part of that setting of uh, aspiration or, or deeper intentions. And in Buddhist tradition, that's often used, they're often used in that way. You know, in some approaches, one would actually do refuges and precepts almost every day, you know, or in, in other settings, a little less frequently. But yeah, then developing your vow, and that probably the fact that you developed it probably gave it more power, right? You know, the fact that you know, the fact that I was, you know, I've this, you know, the vow that I've developed along with, you know, partly inspired by my friend with the birthday card, that has stayed with me for years. And it's uh, actually incorporated into it a few elements that are more traditional, but most of it is never existed before. And it, it has, it's had staying power. It's interesting. Yeah, thank you, Nancy. Anyone else like to either share something about? I see, I see Andrew's hand up. Okay, go An- ahead. Andrew, please. You have to unmute first, yeah. So I work with kids, and I may have shared this with some of the group when we were at Spirit Rock, but it's a poem that I say a couple times a day, very much like you, and it, it also helps me go back to sleep if I wake up in the middle oh, of the oh. night. And uh, it goes like this. Um, with this breath, my mind grows stronger so I can focus a little longer. I breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. That's what focus time is all about. <laughs> and then there is an, there is an advanced version. I'll, I'll just do the last stanza. When my puppy mind starts to wander about, I come back to my in-breath and then I breathe out. <laughs> I breathe into my belly. I breathe out to calm my brain. Slowly, I start to settle. My puppy mind feels more trained. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, Andrew, that's awesome. And I, I love Thank the way it's also, as it were, embodied by the use of the hand. That must yeah. be so helpful, right? It really is, because the mind, of course, and the body likes to wander off, especially when you're a little kid. So a nice little anchor like that is helpful. That's beautiful. And can other people adopt that if they wish? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Is that, is that publicly available anywhere? Um, that's a great question. You know, I do have a website. I don't know. I don't think it's on there, though. But, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to put it on later today. Go to, go to mindfulartssf.org, and I'll try to put it, hmm, gosh. Uh, you know, I'll put it on the Puppy Mind page. Okay. That's what Go to the Puppy Mind page. Great. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I think we have a few others. Yeah, uh, Sonia is the next one. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I, I know I have shared with this group before about my journey with the Afghani family um, in relationship to how they were relating to the virus. Yeah. And on Christmas Eve, the father went into the hospital severely ill with the virus. The mother is now at home with the kids. She's also positive with the virus. Um, so I, you know, I have a deep intention to be a vessel of loving compassion for this family. And I find myself being harsh with myself at times mm. for, for maybe not being helpful enough. Mm. And so um, I aspire to include myself in that, that intention to, yeah. to bring so much loving compassion to this being right now that's suffering along with them. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of my share today. Yeah, Sonia, that's uh, that's really great. It's just like uh, in some in sense a important uh, you know uh, compliment or addition to the way you are working with the vow. Really crucial to you know that uh, again, uh, so many people may even have a vow to help others, but forget about ourselves, right? And so, so just to bring that in is so crucial. Yeah. So I'm sure th I'm sure you're speaking to a lot of people when you say that. Thank you. Uh, Liz, please. I just want to add, thank you for your talk as usual. I've enjoyed it enormously. Um, Philip, I'm going to quote Philip Moffat regarding all of what you said today, as best as I am able. Because really, uh, we don't want to beat ourselves over the heads when we're working with all these intentions. Life is difficult, much is subconscious. Uh, this is a lifetime practice and a moment-to-moment -moment practice. So I just want to add, as best as I am able, I'm not going to be perfect, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Really adding the the understanding that this isn't uh, something else to beat ourselves up with, right? Thank you for that, Liz. That's a really important uh, uh, addition, right? Because we could use the vows and intentions as um, a basis well, for falling short again, falling short again. for no, criticism, or this will be more related to what we look at next time, if you know. If, if we haven't looked at our habitual tendencies to perfectionism, <laughs> anyone have any habitual tendencies to perfectionism? Okay. But if we haven't looked at those, then uh, some of this can uh, get us in a little trouble. So thank you for that, Liz. Very helpful. So I think, how are we? We're getting towards our closing time. How are we? Anything in the chat, uh, Brian? Uh, sure. Yeah, there was just one thing in the chat. Uh, someone was making a connection. They um, they said that uh, so much of these teachings are rooted in Jewish values. Yeah. Vows are much like prayers. Yeah. 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 I think we. You know, a lot of this is really uh, how do we keep reminding ourselves of what's most important, and that can happen in so many ways and through prayers or recitations and how, you know, how do we keep it alive? How do we navigate 
the um, you know the potential downsides of even working with this. I think Liz brought out one. We can one thing we have to look out for is perfectionism or using these vows or aspirations as a way to beat us up. We could also uh, obvi another obvious one is we could get into being dogmatic. My vows are better than yours. You know, you don't have good vows. Or whatever. So, uh, yes, yeah, so there's a lot. Uh, maybe maybe even could bring in that a little bit more, like the, the downsides. So, yeah, we can find it some, simply prayers or simply, you know, simply uh, having multiple times a day when you come back to mindfulness without necessarily even uh, being explicit about intention. That's going to help as well. So a prayer practice sessions, uh, it's going to be different. You know, some people it might be looking at one's young child, just brings you back to maybe back to love or back to care, you know, something like that. So I think there are multiple ways that come back and I think you can find, uh, find them in uh, all, the, all the great spiritual traditions. So I think we're no, it looks like no raised hands and uh, no comment or question in the chat at this time? There was one last comment, okay. uh, another kind of connection. Uh, this person said, lots of intention being expressed by protesters at this very moment. Yeah. Right. So that goes back. Uh, that's true. That, you know, the, the analysis of intentions, uh, again, remember dis the distinction between aspirations and uh, or deeper intentions on the one hand, and then moment-to-moment -moment intentions, we didn't look so much at the question of what is a skillful aspiration or intention and what is an unskillful one, right? And so people can have very strong intentions uh, or very strong aspirations connected with greed, hatred, delusion. Right. Right. So that's uh, that's the way it is. So it's kind of I think almost like uh, maybe we I was assuming or we were assuming that we were prioritizing skillful, helpful, wise aspirations, vows and so forth. But we you know, at the heart of this is also seeing and this is this is clearly what the Buddha was getting at and talking about karma and intentions, you know, when I was going back to moment-to-moment -moment intentions, is that we want to, I think I quoted a teacher, as we move from unskillful, <coughs> habitual intentions to wise intentions. So that's also right at the heart of the process and, and part of it. And, and I think my sense is, <coughs> excuse me, that your comment may have been bringing up that point as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. I think that <coughs> helps fill things out some too. Great. So we'll um, come back in two weeks. I'll <clears throat> continue some with this theme. And invite everyone just to take a few moments to reflect. And the invitation is to work with intentions. I'll invite everyone to work with intentions 
in these next two weeks? How many people would like to give more focus on intentions, both the ones discussed in the talk and the ones you might have come up with in your paper? How many people would like to work with this a little more consciously in the next two weeks? Let's do that. That's great. Come back in two weeks. So just reflect on how you'll do that, your own, your own intentions to work with intentions. And then we close with the dedication of merit, which is also an intention practice. It's reminding us that we practice very much for ourselves, but also for others. And so may our work with intentions, our practice in general, be beneficial to us, be beneficial to those in our own circles, and then beyond those circles, be beneficial to all beings, be beneficial to our world, all beings includes us, our world includes us. May our time together be a benefit to all. So thank you kindly for your attention and for your intentions. And so, uh, See each other next time. Thank you again. And we can, uh, if you want to unmute and say goodbye, we can do that now. Thank you, Brian. So Adios. much. Very, very, very wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you uh, on the retreat opening. That's right. We'll be uh, we'll be meeting on uh, Sunday for our meta retreat. Yes. Okay. Bye, All everyone. Right. Bye, bye. Nos vemos. Nos vemos. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.